0: For listeners of Stadium Scene's Made Event, you can save 15% by typing in promo code Stadium Scene, that's all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit linkapp.com, that's L I N Q A P P.com. Today on the show, I'm all by myself. So we go one on one with author Mark Darden as we talk about his new book, It's Game Time, Folks The Quest for 30. You probably remember Mark was on a year ago talking about his travels to visit Major League Baseball stadiums and write a book, and he's done that. Live from a makeshift
1: recording studio, somewhere in the middle of the desert, this is the Stadium Scene Podcast.
0: With your hosts... DJ Flug. I suck at trivia and I suck at telling jokes. Kay Thompson.
1: The Jackman, which is just the most awesome name.
0: And Jillian Fisher. No, that was just because I'm crazy as hell.
1: <laughs> You're listening to The, the Stadium Scene Podcast. Z.
0: Welcome to episode 33. I'm all by myself today. Uh, Kate's traveling, Jillian's sick, and um, so it is just me. So you have to listen to me talk. No, just kidding. We got a a guest here, but we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to talk a little bit about an email that went out a couple days ago from Apple about podcasts, and they sent out this email saying, here are the rule changes, and you know what? You can't put episode numbers in your titles anymore. Which basically says that, like you know, ninety percent of the podcasts on iTunes have a episode number or a season or both in the title, and they put this big disclaimer that says if you don't, you know, if you're in violation of this, they can remove your your podcast from iTunes. And there was a lot of backlash, um, a lot of backlash from our, our Stadium Scene network. Um, we got into kind of a mini discussion where the lads podcast tweeted right back at Apple. Lads, number 129, Apple can suck it, which I thought was pretty funny. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, we got into a discussion with them, and the two-foot talk uh, s- stuck it to them and, and Drew Pels and the South of the Six and the Bros Talking Soccer. It was, uh, it was pretty wild. And a day later, Apple sent out a clarification email saying, well, we're not going to kick you off of iTunes if uh, if you put episode numbers, but we prefer that you didn't. So that's a big backtrack from where they were a day ago, which I thought was was pretty funny. So uh, enough of that. This is episode thirty three again. So I'm introducing our guest, and our guest was actually on the show on March fourth of 2018. So almost exactly one year ago. Uh, Our guest came on to talk about his travels across the country to visit all 30 Major League Baseball stadiums in one season, uh, which he did during the 2017 season, and during the show, he hyped that he was actually writing a book about his experiences, and he did that. He published it, and I have a copy of the book sitting right here that I read last weekend, and we're going to talk about it. So please welcome back to the show, author Mark Darden.
1: Yeah, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me again, DJ.
0: Yeah. It's how does it feel to be called author Mark Darden?
1: It's it's a good feeling. It was over a year of work to get the book done, but now it's done, and I'm pretty happy with the end result of it.
0: Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get right into the book here in a second, but I mean looking at this book, you know, you, you said before you've been very transparent about the whole process, the travel with your costs and everything. And, uh, actually you published a blog post, which I haven't had a chance to read yet today, uh, going over the behind the scenes of making the book. I mean, I'm holding this book here and you would never have guessed you went through a sub self publishing process here. I mean, it's a very, it looks exactly like a paperback book that you would buy in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. So let's get right into it. So let's, let's review. Why did you want to publish a book?
1: Um, like during the middle of going to all of the baseball stadiums, I want to say I was in Washington, DC, and I was talking to one of my friends about it. And I thought about all the stuff I had done so far, and I was like, you know what, I could probably write a book about this. And she pretty much encouraged me to to like go forward with the book. So after I got done with visiting all the stadiums, I was like, okay, I can start by just uh start about talking about the games and some of the games weren't as exciting as other games but some of the travel experiences going to the games were so I was like I could probably make like a travel diary so each day I went to a game I just say what I did during that entire day and I think it would have been something or I thought it would have been something people will be interested to read in
0: and, I mean, you you it, your games are well-documented. I mean, you have it down to the scoring plays, to when you went to go charge your phone, when you went to go get food. Um, I mean, did you start, I guess, creating a diary as you went? Or did you, like, have to go back and pull from memory the first handful before you, you decided this? I guess you mentioned Washington, which was your, your first stop on your trip.
1: Yeah, I remember when I um started writing the book, the first chapter was Washington. So... I wrote that chapter out and then I sent it to my editor and he told me that I probably should go a little bit more in detail with the game because before I just gave score updates. So then I went to MLB.com and like look at all of the plays that happened during the game and try to remember like, okay, I remember this guy got a hit in this inning or this happened in this inning. So it made, made use made it easier to write the book out and a lot of the stuff that i did I, it was just from memory
0: yeah that's uh your, your memory is a lot better than mine i would never have been able to remember some of these uh the finer it was, details it was
1: partially it was partially memory as well as looking at my google maps because my google maps was on during the entire time so i would look at that and it would say like i was at this place at such and such time and sometimes I actually forgot I went to like a store real quick before a game or oh, I got this before a game. So that helped as well, as well as taking a lot of pictures.
0: So let's get down to to writing the book. I mean, this book is 200 plus pages. Like how, uh, how how long did it take you to I mean, I'm sure you went back and made modifications as you went. But for the initial first draft of the book, how long did it take you to to put this together?
1: That took almost a year. So I started writing it October 15th, two weeks after I was finished. And I got done early October in 2018 with just the initial draft. And this was before I did all the formatting and adding the table of contents and the copyright page and all the the back stuff with the cost and everything. So that took over a year to complete.
0: So the um the co- like even down to the copyright page you wrote that yourself?
1: Yeah, what it was, I was just I just googled how to write a copyright page <laughs> and one of the links was like an actual like picture and it had like numbers or like okay, you put this here, you put like the all rights reserved here, you put the library co- congress control number here, you put like the credits here. So I pretty much just uh, looked at that and based my copyright page off of that. That's
0: that's incredible. I mean, yeah, you have your your ISBN, your your barcode number. You've got your Library of Congress Congress control number, which I'm not even sure what that fully means. But
1: yeah, you know what? I didn't even I never even heard of that until I found the example copyright page. The only reason I have that was because of that and. The article I read it said that if you ever wanted to put your book into a library, you would want to get that number and it was free. So I was like, hey, might as well get that as well. I'm not spending any extra money on it.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's your next goal. Is get that thing into a library. So uh let's so you you said you took almost a year to write the book. How many rounds of editing mm-hmm. did you go through? Um,
1: when I was done, I sent the entire manuscript to my editor and When I initially sent it to him, the book was 63,000 plus words or so. And after he got done going through everything, it ended up being around (laughs) 59,000. So he just pretty much did like one big edit. And a lot of the edits that he did were just more uh, condensing sentences that I had where I could sound really wordy when I write. There was one part of the book where I was talking about going to the Red Sox game. And when I initially wrote it, it was almost half a page long. It was, it was about, uh, it was a section where I was on the train going to the game, and some kids kept asking like which station to get off at. And in my head, I was like Kenmore. And that section was almost half a page when I initially wrote it. And after my editor got done with the edits, he condensed it down to three sentences. <laughs>
0: Helps having somebody, a second set of eyes look at that, especially somebody with experience doing that. Mm-hmm. So, so what was it like to actually get it printed? Like to, you know, is this something you had to do on your own? Did you, or did your editor help with that?
1: Yeah, when it came to printing, I, um again, I just Google how to like format a book. And that took almost a month to do by itself. And when it came to printing, I just looked for uh, book printers here in Columbus. And I ended up finding one um over near uh the suburb of grandview and they were very helpful in getting a first proof done and when i got that book i was like okay cool i know what i need to fix and what i need to add to the book and what i need to change so it was really helpful for me to get that first proof
0: and then when you finally did get it you know published you you uh, had a big kind of social media celebration opening the box with the box full of the the first round of purchases of the book. and then mm-hmm. on top of that, you got it into a bookstore.
1: Yeah, there is a actually right now I have it in two bookstores. Oh, awesome. the first one the first one is the Gramercy books in Bexley, Ohio, and they have the books on a consignment basis. So I went to their store, gave them two books, filled out uh, some paperwork. And I want to say uh, the next day later, they had the book on the shelf in, like, the local author section. So, that was pretty cool seeing something I created on the shelf of a bookstore.
0: Yeah, for sure. that's awesome.
1: And the second bookstore is the book Loft of German Village here in Columbus. So, I'm about to head over there right now just to see where they put the book in that store because this store has, like, 32 rooms full of books. So, I just want to, like, see where exactly is that. That way, I can help promoted on uh social media
0: so w- one more question about the book before we get on to uh talking about the content so on the the very top of the book you have a essentially a ticket stub where uh, where you say section four row six seat 17 is there any significance to that or did you just arbitrarily pick yeah it up?
1: Yeah, those numbers. That's the first date that I. Uh, that was the first day of the class, uh-huh. so April six, two thousand seventeen. And originally on the back cover, it had the end date, which was October first, two thousand seventeen. But I had to cut that out to um, put in the ISBN number and my logo at the bottom and uh, my uh, social media handle and website.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I I kind of figured you know twenty seventeen. That made a lot, that made a lot of sense. So. You know, moving on and talking. Yeah, like. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, when you read the book, the first day would be April six, two thousand seventeen. So that's what those numbers
0: are. Oh, how about that? <laughs> I I <laughs> I just made that connection. <laughs> so um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the the traveling aspect of your trip. We we talked a little bit about it the last time you were uh, you were here. But you you really since then have actually been very open and transparent with how much money you spent and the logistics behind it, which let's just say after reading through it and seeing the logistics of how in you know, some cases you took a bus and then another bus and then a plane and then to another bus and public transit and Uber. I mean, it was I mean, how what did you like? Did you actually sit down and plan this out? down to the, like, door-to-door? Or how did you come up with some of this schedule? Because, it, I mean, I some k- of this is very creative.
1: I kind of, sort of planned it out what it was. When I first uh, started planning the trip out, I knew I wanted to go to Washington, D.C. in April because of the cherry blossom oh, festival, So I knew I wanted to go to D.C. like sometime in April. So that's how I was able to go to D.C. as well as Baltimore since those two are right next to each other. Then I just looked up um, on the schedule is Philly had a game and they did on a Saturday. So I was like, OK, I could probably add that one in. Also, I had two vacation weeks that I could use up. So I knew one of them I had to use to go on the West Coast. So I looked on the schedule to see when all of the California teams were playing. And most of them, or I want to say all of them were playing all in the same week during that vacation week. So I was like, OK, I can do the um, West Coast in May. and then with my second vacation week, I used it, I want to say the first week of August. And I used that one to get the two Texas teams, the two New York teams and Boston
0: which in your case you went to New York took a bus to Boston came back to New York and got the other half of it done that was uh yes. it's it's just you know your 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 planning is very very creative i i never uh i'm i'm looking at that and, and i'm just like you hit the entire state of california all the teams in like one week and i mean for the the scheduling to work out and then there was a rain out in san diego of all places but yet you still managed to make it back there i mean it's just and it's
1: just yeah i was i was just happy i had to go out there twice
0: <laughs> yeah i would have you know it's not something you can jump on a greyhound for you know 20 bucks or less or whatever it was mm-hmm. which uh so speaking of greyhound you you spent a lot of time on a greyhound bus mm-hmm. do you uh, did you keep track of how many hours you spent on a bus during your uh your travels
1: i did not The one i could think of off the top of my head was from from San Diego to or San Diego to San Francisco. Because when I left San Diego, this was the second time I left. I left around like 8.30ish or so. Then I got to L.A. around 11. And then from L.A. I left around, I think, 12. And got to San Francisco at like 7 in the morning. So that was about 10, 11 hours on buses. And that was an overnight ride. So pretty much I slept the whole way there. So I do remember... I do remember that one. And then for the most part, most of the trips were around like two to about two to four hours or so.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, looking through the the cost you spent, you got from San Diego to San Francisco one way for $2.50. Yeah.
1: Here's how I pulled that off. I'm a part of the Greyhound Rewards uh, program. And every time you buy like a ticket, you can get points tours like discounts on future tickets, as well as um, free tickets to ride the bus. And at the time I had three free tickets that I can use. And when I was in California, I think it was the first time I went to San Diego, I bought the ticket to go down there, use one of my free tickets and it, and it went through just fine. Then about like five minutes later, I looked back on the app, and the ticket appeared as if I never used it, so I was like, "Oh, okay." It was a little glitch in the app, and that happened for I think all the way up until about, I think St. Louis. I was able to just use the free, use the free ticket because it just kept reappearing in the <laughs> in the app as if I never used it. So, so I just took advantage of their glitch.
0: So, and you were very. Very, again, very open and honest about your experience with the bus where you had to run in with some creative, uh, interesting people in, in bus stations and you know the buses were never on time and and the uh there was also something in here that oh, you know, drivers being over their hours. I mean it, it seemed like there was almost always a problem with your with your bus trips. But I mean what overall was you know, Greyhound gets a kind of a, a bad rap for just the experience, I guess, to, to put it. I mean, was it mm-hmm. really... I mean, outside of the buses consistently being yeah. late and drivers being over their hours and the occasional, you know... Um, there was one incident you documented about a homeless person coming in and, and bothering people. Uh, yeah. Was, was it really... That was, <laughs> was it really... other <laughs> Outside of that, was it really that bad?
1: Uh, Once you get on the bus and you just go, then you get to wherever destination you got to go to. For me, I'm not too... I'm not super picky. As long as I get to point A to point B in a safe and, and like safe and timely fashion, then I'm not going to complain too much about things that are out of my hands. So if the bus arrives late, I can't do anything about that. So it's frustrating, but complaining to the person at the desk is not going to change anything.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm
1: just more concerned the driver gets there safe and get there in a safe and timely fashion. Luckily for the most part, I didn't have too many uh bus rides where I had to make a connection. Usually it was a direct route. So as long as I got to wherever city I had to go to before the game started, I was a happy camper.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. I mean, you don't really hear a lot about people taking a lot of bus trips and and you know from, from a greyhound standpoint.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So moving on, let's just, you know, kind of look at your, your overall cost. And you published a number in here, and I forget if that was yeah, you, you published your approximate grand total of about fifty six hundred dollars to see all thirty teams. And can you kinda of go over what, what that included?
1: Yeah, that included all of the transportation expenses, so like airplane tickets, bus tickets um i have a section with all of the uber and left rides that i took i also got one section that had all of the ticket prices for each of the games and trying to remember what else i had i know i had like some prices for amtrak and Mark tickets the train services
0: i do see that in here
1: yeah so i broke it down from like transportation lodging for like airbnbs and hotels Um, The tickets, lodging, airplane rides, bus tickets, uh, Ubers, public transportation, and I believe train service. So those are like the main things that I broke down the cost with.
0: And I know from a a clip you posted from another podcast you were on, you you didn't actually track your food expenses, though.
1: That one I did not track. I was just just eating as I went. There was some (laughs) stuff I remember how much it cost, so... When I was in St. Louis, I had a the ultimate stadium nacho taco or tater tots or something like that, and I remember that cost was seventeen dollars. <laughs> so it was they were tater tots and they were topped with like nacho toppings, so like pico de gallos, so sour cream. Uh, I think it had pulled pork on it. It huh. was it was pretty good, delicious.
0: Too bad it's St. Louis, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, the day I went to that game, it was the Fourth of July, so it was a pretty hot day in uh, St. Louis that day.
0: And you know, and recently, uh, Cubs third baseman Chris Bryant got on the nerves of some Cardinals players by calling St. Louis a boring town. <laughs> oh, that I is... don't think it's a boring town. It's just a good blue collar Midwestern town. Yeah, and I mean, I'm you know, I'm I'm from the Midwest as well. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, that's how I look at St. Louis.
0: So, so looking at your your stadium trip, you published your your you know in order you ranked your your favorite to least favorite, and I'm just want to say, is it still the same? Did you have a, have you have a change of heart, or do you still like what's you know your, what is your favorite and least favorite stadium still?
1: I remember when I initially started, I had uh, Oakland Coliseum. I kind of had it high on the list. Well, I wouldn't say high on the list. Like in the book, it's the last stadium on the list. But I kind of gave it more of a favorable review when I first started because it had a little character to it. But at the time, that was the 10th stadium I visited. And this was before I went to Fenway and and Wrigley Field. So after going to those two stadiums, those two are about 100-plus years old. Yeah. And they're better maintained than the stadium that's half its age. So from my perspective, I got to put that one down low on the list.
0: That's what I hear. And, you know, with the Raiders getting ready to leave, um, you know, the A's have announced a new ballpark. It sounds like they're not going to get too many more years out of that place.
1: Yeah, I heard they're going to redevelop it in uh, something else, which is which is a good idea. And, honestly, the A's, they have a good fan base. They do deserve a new ballpark.
0: But you also, it's funny, like, in your list, you know, you publish the, you know, the Giants as your best, which a lot of people rank um, – the, mm-hmm. Well, it was AT and T Park. It has a new name now, but as as the best ballpark in in baseball, you get PNC Park second and Minute Maid Park third, Coors Field fourth, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And most people's lists, you know, unless they're traditionalists who will say Wrigley or Fenway is number one, most people are going to put one of these four in their their top as their top pick mm-hmm. for sure. So let's let's talk a little bit about the. uh some of the stadium experiences. Uh, one of my favorite stories from your book uh, was your time in Philadelphia, just not because of the game, but because the experience based around the game uh, involving mm-hmm. a couple of people you met in the stadium. Can you go uh, talk a little bit about that for our listeners?
1: Yeah. So for that game, I went with one of my college friends because at the time she was living in Philadelphia. So we went to the game, we got to our seats and we were just talking, catching up with life. Uh, it was like been like three or four years since we've seen each other from college. And I think I casually just said to her that I was a neutral fan. I wasn't a fan of either team. I just want to see a good game. The guys right in front of me, they turned around and it was like, oh, no, you're going to have to cheer for the Phillies or we're going to throw you out of the stadium. <laughs> and keep this in mind. This is just in the first inning. So I was just like, oh, OK, whatever. That,
0: that Philadelphia They're, brotherly love.
1: Yeah, during that first inning, the Phillies, they I believe they scored 12 runs within the first inning. So it was, I think they scored like four or five or like four runs at, at that point. And it was T-shirt night at the stadium. So every fan got a Philadelphia Phillies T-shirt. And the guys in front of me, they were like, if Philadelphia gets five runs, you have to – put on the T-shirt and become a Phillies fan for the night. And I was just like, okay, well, okay, I'll agree to that. Next batter comes up, he hits a run that drives in on um, the fifth run, and I ended up putting on the T-shirt and became the biggest Philly fan since Corey Matthews.
0: <laughs> Good boy meets world reference there. Yep. Uh, yep, and in, in your book, you posted pictures from your, your trip, and you are wearing the shirt in the photo. <laughs> hmm so, let's see. Moving on, uh, the other one that stood out was your your experience at Yankee Stadium, and and when I say marathon, I'm not exaggerating.
1: Yeah, that was the longest time I was ever at a baseball stadium. So, a matter of fact, that was just a long day because I woke up at I think five, like five thirty or so. I went down to the Today Show for their taping. And I was there until about 10, like 30-ish or so. Then I took a subway up to Yankee Stadium, got up there around 11, 30, 11, 45. And the game was supposed to start at, I believe, 105. So right before the game was supposed to start, there was a rain delay because it started to drizzle, but nothing too crazy. So you see you see the Browns crew, Browns crew pull out the tar, cover the field, the tarp had a big Glad advertisement on it, which I thought was kind of tacky, but I understand it's Yankee Stadium. They're trying to draw money. So after like an hour and a half rain delay, the game started at 2.30, and it went on for, I think, until the top of the eighth. And right when the eighth inning was about to start, there was a huge thunderstorm and downpour of rain. So everybody got out of the stands. They were all, Everybody was trying to find shelter. At first, I found shelter underneath one of the restaurants that was by my section. And then a huge gust of wind came and knocked some water down on my head. So then yeah. I ended up going up against a, against a concrete wall and just watching it rain cats and dogs for like an hour and a half. And then after that, the rain stopped, but the field looked like a huge puddle. So I was just like, there's no way they can have – there's no way they can finish this game. The Yankees is just – Take this loss and just move on. Is, <laughs> the grounds crew—they did a great job to get the field ready. And three hours later, I want to say sometime around eight o'clock, the game resumed in the top of the eighth inning.
0: And did this game go to extras?
1: It did not. It um, okay, I'm
0: I, thinking of another game. There was a bit of a at door. the
1: time it was at the time it was a uh, it was two zero in favor of the Tigers and. I want to say the Yankees pitcher, he threw like an immaculate inning. So, nine pitches, three outs. That got the crowd fired up. And then the Yankees just couldn't find any offense, and they ended up losing that game 2-0. So, the
0: the last one I want to talk about. um, So, you went to Detroit, and you were going (laughs) to come into the ballpark, and you found out you couldn't get in at the time, but you still managed to find a way in essentially before the general public was let in. Can you talk a little bit mm-hmm. about that? What
1: it was, there was a student like field trip at the stadium. It was like weather day at uh, at the Comerica Park. So I was in line where some of the students were getting in, and I was talking to one of the fathers that was there, like a father who was chaperoning for the trip, and he pretty much just said, like, hey, you could probably just come in with us. So I ended up getting my ticket scanned, and when I got in the stadium, I realized I couldn't go to my seat because they had it blocked off to where it was like just one certain section for the Weather Day event. So I was just walking down the concourse, and I noticed that there was a camera girl following these two big, huge guys around. I was like, okay, who are these guys? And I didn't know who they were, so I just went over to the uh, team shop to get my book stamp. And I just saw those big guys riding the carousel around near the gift shop, which I thought was pretty funny. So then when the ballpark over for General Public, I was able to go to my seat. And when the game started, I found out who those guys were. They were the Diesel Brothers, and they have a show on the Discovery Channel.
0: (laughs) Did you learn anything about the weather that day that you didn't know before?
1: It was was hot because... It was extremely hot that day. What it was when I left Columbus, it was like 40-something degrees when I left because I left at like 4.40 in the morning. Got to Detroit around 9 or so, so it was still pretty cool. I think the game started at like 105 or 110, and throughout the course of the game, it just started to heat up to 84 degrees. And that day I had on jeans because it was cold when I left. I did not think that I would have got that hot, so like middle of the game, I ended up getting some pizza and some bottled water, and while the pizza was good to eat, some of the cheese got stuck on the top of the box. <laughs> so so it was a it was a fun game to go to the The Tigers won against the Orioles, I think six to five, I believe. so it was a pretty memorable game to go to.
0: So, since we're starting to, to get up to the end of our time window, I'm going to ask you these two questions together. So what would you say was your most memorable baseball-related story, and then what was the most memorable non-baseball-related story of your travels?
1: I think the most memorable – I would say the most memorable baseball-related story would be being at the game where Adrian Beltory got hit number 3,000. Oh, yeah. yeah, so that was – I would say that would be my most memorable one. It was funny because – When he actually got the hit, I was in line getting ice cream (laughs) because that day uh, Globe Life Park was super hot. It was like 88 degrees when the game started, and it just got hotter as the game went on. So I went to get some ice cream, and I was also charging my phone as well. So I asked some guys to watch my phone while I went in line to get ice cream. And the guys, they ended up saying or taking my phone to guest services because they went back to their seat. While I was in line, Adrian Belcher came up for his, I believe, second at bat. And it was crazy just seeing everybody in the concourse just rush out back into the stadium just to <laughs> take out their camera phones, just to record. TV would get the hit. And I thought about doing the same thing as well. But my phone was at guest services. My seat was all the way on the other side of the stadium. I was just like, okay, I can just watch it on TV. There's a TV right in front <laughs> of the ice cream, stand. Yeah and it was just interesting looking down the concourse and it looked like a ghost town and <laughs> just hearing the roar of the crowd when he got that hit was one of the most memorable things i remember from going to all of the stadiums
0: you know and I, i've been to, to Globe Life um before and it's it's a nice venue i mean it's it's you know closing mm-hmm. in on 25 ish years old but yeah that summer in you know the Dallas Arlington area is, is brutal having a uh, a roof on there will be uh, will be pretty nice for both the fans and the players. Mhm. So and then your uh, your favorite non-baseball uh moment from the trip.
1: I have a few of those. Um I want to say one that pops off the top of my head was being in Toronto. So I went to the Blue Jays game back in September and then like the next day I was going to go to Cleveland to go to an Indians game cuz at the time they were they had like a 21 game win streak or 22 game win streak or something like that, and I ended up missing the bus because I woke up late. So after missing the bus, I was just like, okay, I might as well just go back home to Columbus. Uh, went down to the bus station and got got a new ticket and waited in the bus station for like a couple of hours. And I ended up meeting really good really good person when I was there, and we ended up talking for about two hours she was going to Montreal and I was just going back home and we ended up just talking about our travels for two hours before my bus left to go back to Columbus.
0: That so was probably one of the better accidents. You know, it looked like a situation going wrong. It turned out, it looked like it worked out in your favor.
1: Yeah. I ended up meeting a good person.
0: So, um, as we, uh, we wrap up here. So what's next for you? What are you, uh, you got the book published. What are you going to do now?
1: Uh right now it's just promotion promotion promotion, so I've been trying to get book reviews as well as getting into other bookstores as well as libraries and um I also this year I want to go to different events as opposed to just baseball so earlier or earlier this year I went to Madison Square Garden for the big Ten super Saturday showcase, so they had a A college basketball game at 12 and then a college hockey game at 7 on the same night. Uh, I want to go to, like, the Indianapolis 500. That's a
0: great event. Uh,
1: Yeah, I want to go to that. I want to go to the London Series for the Yankees and the Red Sox. The All-Star Game in Cleveland. This year, I want to go to events that I normally wouldn't go to. So, like, WNBA games. um, I don't know. Maybe some more soccer stadiums stuff like
0: that. I'll, uh, I'll when you get closer to May, I'll have to fill you in on some some details about what to check out around there. I've uh, I was born and raised about an hour away from the track, so I spent a lot of the time there as a kid. Uh, I actually went mm-hmm. there about a year ago. So to to wrap it up, so your the book is called It's Game Time Folks Quest for 30. Where can you get it?
1: Uh, right now you can get it at my website slash shop It'll be the first It'll be the really the only item in the shop right now. You can just click on it. It's on sale for $14.99. And if you're in Columbus, Ohio, you can get it at the Book Loft of German Village in uh, Columbus, as well as Gromercy Books in Bexley, Ohio.
0: Awesome. And then plugging website, social media. And
1: for all of my social media, it's uh, at Buckeye Muscle. And also the name is Madison Square Darden. So, it was a little funny name yeah. based off the Madison Square Garden <laughs> Arena. You're, uh, you're, I just,
0: you, were, you were hyping that up for a, a few weeks before you uh, officially launched it. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, ah, okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, what I'm using that name for is kind of just like a, like a trade name, marketing name. Because on my blog, I want to do more like travel guides for sporting events. So, like, I did one for the Big Ten Super Saturday. So, like, if you're in time for this, for this event, check these places out. And I plan on doing one for the Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament as well, as well as, like, the Indianapolis 500. And give people a reason to, like, check out the city that they're in while they're at a sporting event.
0: Yeah, a lot to see in this country and, and the other countries. So, again, Mark, mm. thanks again for being on the show. Always great to have you.
1: Yeah, No problem. Thanks for having me again.
0: Yeah, anytime. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up today. So hopefully next time we may see the return of Kate and Jillian, I'm hoping. Uh, we've got some pretty fun stuff planned for us, some other interviews that we're currently trying to work out. Uh, but we'll have that coming soon. So until then, keep an eye on us at StadiumScene.tv and check us out at Stadium Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest and Stadium underscore Scene on Instagram. And we will see you next time.